A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review Friday night's episode of AEW Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, uh, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2. But Oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review... Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but here's my number. This is Rampage, baby. <laughs> and all they had to do was try. My God, there was some transcendent, professional, goddamn wrestling on this show. For about a quarter of it. <laughs> there was also some really, really, really good professional wrestling that I had little emotional investment in later on this show. There was also some very mid stuff on this show. But my God, Mox Takeshita mm. lived up to the hype. It was absolutely sensational. I was up a height, to use a Northeast England expression, which basically means fired up. Yeah. He's gone up a height. Personal story, right? Upper height just means like you're, you're fizzing with energy and yeah. excitement. Maybe you're, you're taking it too far, right? And I learned this expression. Giddy. giddy with excitement. I learned this expression off my dad because when I was young and I first had like cans of Coke, they used to send us Raj. <laughs> and I used to go absolutely like mental. And my dad was like, Michael, man, you're upper height on that stuff. <laughs> it's not crystal meth, dad. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just pop. Or as they call it in Scotland, fizzy juice. It's weird, that, isn't it? Uh, right, let's get into it then. Mox later. Or as they call it in America, soda. 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 Soda pop. <laughs> anyway, Mox later Uh Yeah, it was one of those ones where it was a victim of his own success, this a little bit, in terms of the fact that already we'd had reports from people, and we always appreciate this, who were there in attendance who were like, Oh, this is going to be good. And you just see Moxley to Kester on a graphic, and you're like, right, let's. He was almost told, like, go on then, impress me. Especially when we've seen the first version of the yeah. match on Dynamite earlier this, earlier this year, and it was fantastic. Like, how can you get better than that? 
Well, they did. Yeah. Um, early on, Takesha goes for a suplex. Moxley counters, goes to the paradigm shift. Takesha just escapes it. Uh, and Moxley offers the handshake to Takesha and just slaps him to fire him up. Um, to go to a break, we had a uh, Hurricane Rana from Takesha on Moxley. Uh, from a standing position that sends Moxie out to the floor. Big dive from Takeshita. Uh, and they fight around ringside during the break. When we come back, Moxley is pissing blood because of, I think it was, there was a kick on the outside, wasn't there, where he's up against the guardrail and what a brutal. Wh- while we're here, very quickly, what a justified blade job. It looked yeah. like he scraped the flesh off his forehead. Oh, horrible, that. Um, but yeah, he's covered in blood when we come back. Uh, but Moxie's still fired up. He gets a near fall from a pile driver, goes for another one, but to, to Kester, backdrops Moxie out of it and then takes his in head off with a lariat and then hits the to Kester line, I think Excalibur called it, like a flying clothesline. Moxley comes back, though, and uh, eventually hits Takeshita with the King Kong lariat. Uh, goes to the paradigm shift. Takeshita counters that again. Goes for a backslide. Hits Moxley with a knee. The blood's everywhere at this point. Uh, then uh, gets a great uh, fall, or, or near fall, I should say, off the back of a sheer drop brain buster. Um, this is awesome. Deserve a chance. Echoing around the arena. Takeshita goes for, is setting up Moxley for a superplex. Moxley counters that. Sends Takeshita to the mat. Uh, goes to the paradigm shift again. Takeshita gets out of it with a forearm, then gets out of a rear naked choke with a nice blue thunder bomb for a two count there. Um, hits a deadlift German suplex, does Takeshita for another near fall. Goes for the frog splash, and you think, ah, oh, the, the rally's finished because Moxie gets his knees up, starts the hammer and anvil elbows, hits the death rider, and you're like, well. That was fun, wasn't it? That was a nice, great opener. Maybe not as good as, you know, the, the Dynamite match, but uh, a lot of pressure. And, uh, well, we had a lovely time. And, 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 yeah, this is what they need to be doing more of in Rampage. <laughs> then Takeshita kicks out at one. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And Moxie's like, legit, like, uh, you know, we talk about, like, NXT kickout face. Yeah, deserved, like, sorry, what the... F- it wasn't a paradigm. That was a Death Rider. And Takeshita's like, no, one, up straight away. And uh, it only serves to piss off Moxley, it seems. He hits a jumping knee, gets a near fall, kicks into Kester's teeth. The crowd starts turning on Moxley at this point. Uh, goes for a cross arm breaker, but Takeshita counters that and starts kicking Moxley's teeth in the ground like, yeah. Um, Moxley counters that with a kick to the face. Uh Forearms on the back of Takeshita's head, uh, puts in and puts him in a bulldog choke, and the crowd are chanting, "Don't give up!" And Takeshita didn't submit. Instead, he just passed out. A lot of stuff happened post match, which we will deal with in a second, Sige. But yeah, your thoughts on this match? You know what? One of my low key things that makes me sad about pro wrestling is go on. We've lived pretty much ever since I entered the late period of my teens. So this is post Austin Rock who I was privileged enough to watch rise to superstardom, megastardom, when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old, and he can do the impressions in school, and it's just great entertainment every Friday night, as it was on Sky Sports. Basically, when they, and the Attitude Era peaked, never really known what it's like to support a babyface in pro wrestling. As someone who predominantly watched WWE, before venturing out to, like, Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate and New Japan. And then he got 
samples of, oh my God, baby faces can still be baby faces. I don't just have to like the cool because they are instantly cooler than anyone WWE pushes in the role of a baby face. So what I've loved about the advent the rise of AEW, on the subject of which, if you want to know all about the rise of AEW in wonderful, impassioned, insightful detail, <laughs> to the effect of 120,000 words, you can hop on Amazon right now and buy my book, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW. But what won me over, among so much other things, so many other things, rather, about this promotion is, God damn it, the North American TV wrestling babyface is a thing again. Yeah. Fantastic. I loved... Cody's first run was majestic. Uh, and John Moxley being the man a lot of grown adults needed in the pandemic, even though they were themselves like adults. I always get a bit bummed out when it starts to fritter away and mm. Cody kind of was a tweener and Moxley this year is in a position now where, yes, he's still the patron saint of wrestling, but I don't think fans would be that sad if he turned heel nor would it be promotional malpractice. There's nothing better than, holy shit, this guy is a hero to me, a husk of a 37-year-old cynic, <laughs> because he, pe he performs the most difficult role in wrestling that well. Mm. So when Cody and Moxley started to get the anti-fan resentment, the ant it just bummed me out a little yeah. bit. I don't think a living soul on this planet will ever book Kanosuke, uh, will ever book Kanosuke Takeshita. I can't see it. He's just the best baby face. He's an absolutely incredible Tanahashi Kabashi hybrid. And there's a lot of steamboat in there as well. He's just unbelievable, inordinately sympathetic. Like, the magic of this match, right, was multifarious. Apologies for the inadvertent alliteration there, because alliteration is dickhead stuff, right? <laughs> but the point remains. Like, I tweeted this, the mega fans will have to forgive me. I had the same feelings watching this match as I did that unbelievable World Cup day on Friday when it was Argentina-Netherlands. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just the swings and momentum, the fire, the intensity, the housery, the just how close it was. And when it unraveled and then it exploded and then sparked into life. It was just this amazing, overwhelming feeling that is inimitable because it's sport. You don't get that in drama. Yeah. It's inimitable because it's sport, except you can imitate it and <laughs> emulate it yeah. because pro wrestling at its best is an emulation of sport better than sport because your guy gets to win and they can control that outcome, okay? That was this, except even better, your guy, Takeshita, as I said, everyone's guy, didn't win and these fans were agonized because he didn't win. But this is genius because he is going to win. That is the culmination of the first phase of his arc, mm. right? When he wins a big match on TV, and it might even be Kenny Omega, it is going to be absolutely amazing. And these matches are the perfect way to build that actual moment. This is Unbelievable. I felt like I was watching a World Cup match in terms of the rhythm, in terms of how close it was, in terms of the drama, in terms of my emotional investment, and I was desperate for the Netherlands to score that free kick. Oh, Last minute, what a player. they've been bantered cruelly off the face of the pitch by this Argentina side, who 
mastered the dark arts and they were phenomenal and it was great compelling drama Paredes was the one who kicked it at the bench yeah the guy kicked the football at the bench and the bench spilled out and this guy got his clock cleaned and I just was fired up it's sport it inspires this visceral reaction it's amazing wrestling is the best version of itself when it somehow channels that spirit this match accomplished that two more things it was just so close it was just so close. Some of the counters were unbelievable. Some of the counters to the counters were great. The way they were firing up at each other, they just refused. Much like the Netherlands on Friday, they just refused to die until they kind of had to because it just yeah. was going on so long. Structurally, this was so impressive. As you pointed out, Willborn, you thought it was the finish when he hit the Death Rider because this was paced so impeccably well because it was like a drawn-out finishing sequence of a match. Going for the paradigm, going for the paradigm. Going for, right, finally got him, Death Rider. Oh, okay. Like, this was structured, like this all-or-nothing drama throughout. The stamina required, just the, the the dark arts of the work to not let that pace dip and to do more impressive and suspenseful things as it went on. It was majestic. And what I loved about it, right, is that it is incredibly easy at this point. And I don't think enough people talk about this or... Maybe if you're not very discerning, unfortunately, I'm very pedantic. I wish I didn't have these high standards half the time, but I do. It's just part of me. It is very easy, and I see it on certain weekly television programs all the time. It is so easy. And again, I do not want to come across as a Jim Cornette or a Jim Cornette adjacent podcaster, but there is a cheat code in terms of a match structure and a match length and sequencing. It's very easy to get. This is awesome chat nowadays. Mm, yeah. You just do a certain combination of moves at a certain point of the match, and then you both hit a forearm in each other's face at the same time you fall back to the mat, and that's the cue. Oh, I've seen something that everyone chants this is awesome for. Mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. heard, and it's grim. In person, this is awesome chants. It's like, is it? Like, that used to be. It was always very nerdy, of course, but it was always like a badge of honor to get that chant because it must mean the match is awesome, but because now... It's so rote, it's so formulaic that they know what to do, in which order, at which time to get that chant. And it's all very half-hearted half the time. It's meaningless. I was there at Mania when they did it for Edge and uh, AJ uh, Styles, and I was like, just because you meant to chant it there, the match has to earn it. Yeah, yeah, I see it all the time. Not only did this get, as Tony Khan likes to say, justified this is awesome chance, right? And it wasn't just, this is awesome, I'm performing to put the match over, and that's fine. Wrestling needs that. God knows I complain about WWE crowds or the WWE product shaping the WWE crowd. But it's still not the same as that pure, uncut wrestling magic where people are into it, and they're into it, and they're into it. They're not thinking about how much they're into it. They are just into it. And it's increasingly hard in the 21st century with the sort of jaded, seen-it-all-before audience that the majority of major shows play out in front of. These people were desperate for Takeshita to win. Yeah. They abandoned all pretense of being part of the show. And again, that's fine, but it's better this way. They were gutted that this guy <laughs> didn't win. They wanted him to win so much that they turned on the folk hero of the promotion. This is pure professional wrestling magic. And I think for me, it was the match of the weekend. I know a lot of people, the vast majority, in fact, might disagree with that. But this is what I want to feel when I watched professional wrestling, I was up a height mm. watching all of this Adam Wilborn. Yeah, and then uh, to use another World Cup analogy, if, and I'm not suggesting this is what I want to happen, but, you know, probably if you're looking at it objectively, 
Imagine if, you know, France this week break Morocco's hearts in the semi-final and uh, full-time whistle gets blown. And you're like, oh, like you say, Takesh to play, uh, Morocco playing the role of Takesh to perfectly in this scenario. Full-time whistle blows and then Lionel Messi walks down onto the pitch to confront Mbappe or yeah. whoever it is, because that's what we basically got next. Hangman Page comes out with a microphone and he storms down to the ring to confront Moxley uh, and he says, look, Doc Samson won't clear me because of my brain, so uh, maybe I'm not thinking straight. And he attacks Moxley and they brawl uh, and they're trying to be separated, but Moxley throws uh, Hangman Page head first into the post. He takes a sick bump uh, and Blackpool Combat Club are out there holding Moxley back, etc., etc. Um, whilst Paige staggers around with medics all around him. What did you make of this storyline development? Yeah, it's really hard. It's really good. Bang into the match. Hopefully they step it up. Uh, maybe they could do lights out. That's what's potentially building towards, with the idea being like they've dangled this thread instantly when Paige returned. Oh, it's not cleared. What? And then it uh, cultivates a sense of danger. But maybe the, the animosity grows too much between these two men in that Moxley demands the match. Page demands the match and Khan says, you know what, I can't sanction it. This might bite them in the ass and it's maybe not the best look to do lights out. Like, even if it's a total fake story, this is all fake, it's fake, it's fixed, it's predetermined, it's storytelling. Maybe it's not the best optics look if they, oh, not sanction it because this guy's a real risk of ending his career. I don't know, but it's, it's wrestling, it's fake. I mean, I, I, I buy into the drama if they build it well enough, and I trust these two guys implicitly to do so. So, yeah, very interested in where this goes. Uh, another thing I'm interested in is is the return of Powerhouse Hobbs. We've got another sort of chapter in the book of Hobbs here. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story, this guy, this guy's life. Got to be a heel. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. I, was I admire like, the hell out of the guy. He's a badass, but you're like, what he's been through now, They are they can... You know, he doesn't lose any of the aura that he built up as a heel, as powerhouse Hobbs. But the more you learn about this guy, and for the moment when you learned about him in AEW, it took him taking Cody Rhodes' head off and aligning with Team Taz to become a, a heel, basically. Um, and I think that these way, the way these vignettes have been presented just uh, is, is great. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I think if the plan is to present him as a heel, and it's been ambiguous to the point where I'm not certain, but... It's impossible not to gravitate towards this guy. If you don't, even if you don't know this like really admirable backstory of his, he's just this incredibly cool badass. He's like what you watch this sort of thing for. Um, he's the best. Talking about scrubbing blood off steps and things yeah, like that. Yeah, what a guy. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> from that to Stokely Hathaway, who's exposing some uh, shenanigans involving Hook and his match with uh, Lee Moriarty. Lee Moriarty's... Foot or was it hook or someone's foot was under the ropes basically, and he wants this injustice to be overturned. Uh, but until then, he's uh, he's heading off to uh, Waffle House with MJF's money. I like the way they put all this together. Wrestling loves Waffle House, isn't it? Have yeah. you ever done a Waffle House? I've never done a Waffle House. Never done a I Waffle done an IHOP. House. Have you done an IHOP and an Applebee's, but never done a Waffle House? I think have I done an Applebee's? Yeah, I got a. I think I got a uh, breakfast at Applebee's. I don't want to be so. Oh my, I'm a pretentious sort. I like to go to you know like the uh, independent places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get all small the local businesses. businesses. Small look like the support small local businesses, and whenever I go venture overseas, I always like hop on TripAdvisor and just say, "What do the locals 
think it's the best thing. Yeah. That's what I'll do. Oh, my God, i got the best cocktail of my life from Creed and Mingyet. Oh, my God. It's a Speedy Gonzalez, kind of Ooh. like similar to a tequila, uh, margarita. Oh, God, I've got a picture of the ingredients. <laughs> and one day I'm going to chance it, but I'll never get it. Hey, if you can pull off the, the old KFC thing, I've, I've got faith in you. Should I put a picture underneath the podcast? <laughs> of the burger? I, I, I made a Shan Snide copy KFC um, over the weekend. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, it was a triumph. Like. An absolute triumph. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do like the... Because uh, the, obviously you can tell now, knowing the big picture, like the firm stuff, they obviously had bigger, different plans for that and MJF probably surrounding the CM Punk stuff. And obviously things change. Uh, they all had to change with, with how these these things developed. But they didn't just go, Stokely Hathaway's just, oh, that, moving on. He's like, no. Nah. Like, all right, things haven't gone to plan and he's, you know, dropped us like a bad habit instantly. Um, but I like the fact that he's just, he's, uh, he's such a character, Stokely Hathaway. He can sell me on the fact that he's just like, I've got this MJF money burning a hole in my pocket. Let's go as buy as many waffles yeah. as we possibly can. Top boy of Stokely Hathaway. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, then we got the first of two championship matches on this show. It was for the Regina DeWave Championship. Hikaru Shida defending that against the Bunny. Of course, also the winner of this match will get a shot at Jamie Hayter's AW Women's Championship. Um, again, back and forth early on. Uh, Shida counters Bunny's uh, down the rabbit hole finisher with one of her own. Uh, goes to the cover, but Penelope Forge hoisting Shida's kendo stick into the ring to distract everyone, break up the pin, confuse the referee, etc., etc. Interesting fact, this, despite the shenanigans in this match, better refereeing than the England versus France game. Oh, uh, you're not allowed to be that bad as a ref in the, in the VAR world now. You're just not. How this can you be that bad with VAR as well? Like, he's, he's literally kicked Saka. I'm not going to talk about him. I'm going to wind was, myself up. I was going to say one thing about this England-France game. Um, I think that they weren't very good but they are just too good in pockets. Like if Mbappe 
just terrorizing defenses. Giroud's positioning, Griezmann being a, such an intelligent footballer. Chouamani's like, was the one who scored, was it? Yeah, he's great a great hit. player. But like we had them done in the midfield. Like they defensively looked like they were bricking it. I don't think they are that great a team in a systemic, tactical, like spirit level. But my God, when the four of them are like working the magic in like the their final second third, goal. it's just yeah, they are. That foursome in particular, just precision engineered to get defences wobbling mm. in the only need, like, one or two chances. And they only really had mm. one or t- apart from the Rabiot chance, they only had one or two. And it's just like, well, it's panic stations. Mm. Um, Helps if you've got 12 men on the pitch, though. Honestly, there were four, There were I counted them. There were literally four times when I was just in disbelief that a foul didn't get called. And not necessarily the... Saka thing. I thought he maybe made a bit of a meal of it, if I'm being perfectly honest. But just when we were like nearing their final third and Saka just got absolutely just hacked out. Clattered, yeah. It's like, how? There was one immediately after where they clattered Saka. They broke with a ball. We did a much less serious infraction than he blew the whistle. I was like, how have you called it then for something that was much nicer mm. Then the thing I just watched three seconds ago, I was in disbelief. But I think even with a better official, we're not winning that. I think they yeah. just edge it. Congratulations to France at the end of the day. I'm not going to be the sort of person who goes on to Wikipedia and changes the ref. Uh, it's sports France now, actually. So I was pissed off with him, but I'll, there's a line. You can't cross it. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah just get anyway, it. Anyway, uh, back to Sheeda versus, uh, I was about to say Sheeda versus Ford. Sheeda versus Bunny. Ford's obviously on the floor. Sheeda goes after her, uh, and it looks like the the, the heels are going to use this to their advantage, but there's miscommunications from the heels, uh, and Sheeda hits a bunny with a nice meteora on the floor. Um, she gets Bunny back in the ring, hits her with a Mishinoku driver, and then drops her off with that spinning kick of hers to get the one, two, three. Post-match, Jamie Hayer comes out on the stage and holds up. Well, they've both got belts, I suppose, technically, but holds up the belt that uh, Shida has got a title shot at. Yeah, perfunctory, uninspiring NXT 2019 Wednesday Night Wars booking to get to a title match. Uh, there's no point in disguising it. That's exactly what it is. It's Again, it's 2016. It's 2019 NXT. All right, that's a nice match graphic. Where's where's that angle? Yeah. Where's that promo? That really sells me on it because, my God, this weekend, it's like wrestling's always had a December problem where it's like, who gives a toss? Like, I've got it. Like, maybe the listeners have got it. Maybe, tw- I don't know. But nah, I just don't give a toss as much in December. And yet... Burnt in, out. Burnt out, exactly. Yeah. And then there's just an absolutely incredible standard of pro wrestling in December this past weekend. Jesus Christ, like two match of the air contenders just in December. That's just how things go now and have been normalized. And I just, I need more than a match that I think is going to be pretty damn good. Mm. I need to care about it. Yeah. Uh, this match kind of just existed for me. I don't think it was anything special. Um, it was fine. People like Sheeta. This audience was really up for this Rampage tape and which made for a nicer watch. But my God, I'll never remember this match in a million no, exactly. years. It was all right. It did the job. Right, it was like I don't know the Phil Neville of professional wrestling matches. <laughs> uh, my God, I'll tell you what though, Jim Ross. I was about to say Jim Ross had a good time. Jim Ross needs a talking to. Jim Ross has needed a talking to since 2019, and no one's had the balls to talk to him yet. To a degree, without saying it to his face, he's been demoted. Let's face it, Dynamite's the flagship. Dynamite's the show that they care about. He's not honored for a single second these days. They've had a conversation internally. 
I imagine, for which Jim Ross wasn't present, where they've said, right, okay, he's not where he was. Sometimes he's actively detracting from the product, but he's got a name value. He's good when he's good. Let's just put him on Rampage and just save ourselves a lot of bother. Nah, they they need to be braver. They need to talk to him. They need to be braver in that room and say some of the stuff you come out with, mate, is not on. You're a dinosaur. Um, And if you want to perv over women, do it on Twitter. Mm. You you take that opportunity every chance you get. (laughs) So if you missed it or you haven't watched Rampage, watch the opener, for Christ's sake. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Penel, uh, the bunny alongside Penelope Ford makes their make their entrance to the ring. Tony Schiavone says, "Those are some unsettling or creepy gals right there." The idea of Tony Schiavone is trying to put over the two women's wrestlers and their characters of, "Oh, they're a bit creepy. They're a bit conniving. Um, Bunny's a bit bonkers. Yeah, they're a bit unhinged. Like they don't really play by the rules." Uh, they're going to try and like get into the head of the baby face and screw her out of things or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. So Tony Schiavone says, two creepy girls right there. And then Jim Ross says something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, of, oh, really? Not the word I would use to describe them. I quite like it. Right. Um, I'm going to try and do the subtext translator here. When he said that isn't the word that he would describe these two gals, mm. gals as well, like even Schiavone kind of inadvertently is the old man here. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need a voice. It's ridiculous. Um, so the subtext translator is, mm, I kind of like them. That's not what I would say. I think he wanted to say, I like those big-titted blonde women. That's what he was saying. Yeah. And I don't want to hear it. No. I do not want to hear that. I don't want the YouTube comments section to be commentating on AEW Rampage. There's a reason why we shine a light on it. And it's, yeah, I have a word. It's not on. It's absolutely no. not on. Like it's, it's a cultural thing within AEW where... It's already obligatory and apathetic, the presentation of the women's division, but when you've got Jim Ross essentially fapping it at the booth and just outright saying that he wants to have sex with these books and women, it's not on. Like, it's, uh, it makes my skin crawl. How are you going to get? Uh, it's not... <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't ready for fapping it. He's fapping, isn't he? Like, women... AEW's ratings amongst women and female demographics are absolutely pathetic. Yeah. They are pathetic. Maybe if you don't have, like, the kind of man that every single woman, if you've ever cultivated a relationship with a woman in your real life, okay, maybe more than one, you will know that they have endured this kind of behavior in their workplace or in their education institutions. Yeah. And they just hate it naturally to get a reminder of that on their escapist television because some old guy likes a big pair of tits. Like, why would they watch this? Why would they want to be reminded of the people that they have to endure in their everyday lives all the time? Like, it's a very valid point. If you want to, if I want to be a bit more reasonable, like Jim Ross probably doesn't know that he's reminding like a struggling audience that, oh God, well, why don't, why would I want to watch this? That's why he needs to be told. Yeah. Like uh, people can learn, people can grow. Exactly. People come from a different bygone era. I'm absolutely aware of this. Um, but that's not a pass for just being. No, he needs someone needs to have a word with him, and it's been ages now. Uh, we got a promo for the uh, ROH Women's World Title Match at Final Battle. We'll be reviewing Final Battle a little bit later on. Myself and Michael. Jesus Christ! We... Oh, not a bloody sign. I know. <laughs> I was talking about SmackDown for eight hours again. Was it? <laughs> 
Um, well, uh, you know, I'm going to be very hypocritical here because we were like, you know, you should, obviously you're completely right about what Jim Ross said and just, you know, reducing people to, to these sorts of things. And now I have to turn my attention to Big Bill. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just a Big Bill showcase, this, for me. Uh, shout out to Lee Moriarty. looked great in this as well. They faced Clayton Bloodstone and Izzy James. It was a squash. Of course it was. Uh, Big Bill, by the way, if you're unaware, is the former Big Cast, former W. Morrissey. Uh, Lee Moriarty, I thought for a, br- for a brief while we were just going to have Big Bill stand on the outside looking like he does, whilst Lee Moriarty ties both of them up in death locks and abdominal stretches and stuff. But no, Bill, uh, Big Bill comes in and just kills both guys. Bloodstone gets booted to the floor. James gets choke slammed. One, two, three. But Big Bill, man, he's money. He's money. Well, he's not, but he's good. Yeah, I love him. I tell you what, your idea there, I don't hate that as a way of building this specific tag team or this kind of tag team where that's something Skag. Well, the guy hasn't done anything yet. And then as soon as they close the door, he does something. What if they build Moriarty the Waste it now? But maybe in the future, build a tag team where you've got this like incredibly prodigious, um, technical, like, like I don't know what's what I'm looking for. Prodigy. Yeah. Okay. And it can he's so good that he can just skin two goobers alive very easily, where he doesn't even have to tag in his big bad partner. And then the third or the fourth match. You finally get the mm. choke slam. It's like, oh my god, they don't even need that guy. That's how good this tag team is. I reckon they could do something with that. A big fan of Lee Moriarty, and uh, yeah, Big Bill. Yes, yes, more of this sort of thing. If you can have squash matches, have them like this for me uh, on Rampage. Uh, Lexi now chats to FTR, who thankfully accept the challenge from Dan Boas for final battle. Didn't. I thought it was already thought it was already a thing. It was weird, this. Uh, and then we get Ortiz and Eddie Kingston. Ortiz talking about how the House of Black took pity on him, and that's worse than getting his ass kicked. And they accept the challenge of the House of Black. I mean, it's a bad idea, boys, but... Is that uh, the one for Winter is Coming? I think so. So I thought it said in action. Ah. Let me double-check that. That's weird. Look, if it furthers the Eddie Kingston losing streak story... At least if Ortiz takes the pin, that's a decent scalp for the House of Black. They're obviously building the elite thing long-term with some foreshadowing and Easter eggs and the like. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, regardless of whether that's winter or coming just down the line, the challenge being laid out and this the potential of some version of the House of Black taking on these two or of or the House of Black taking on these two and an extra partner. Who would be the extra partner? Homicide, maybe? Yeah. Well, I, I think gonna, it's going to be Santana. I was going to say Santana, and then obviously... Yeah, not there's happen. a few reasons why that ain't happening. Exactly. Uh, right. Uh, then it was time for the uh, All-Atlantic Championship match, the main event, uh, and you get a back-and-forth beforehand uh, with Orange Cassidy doing his usual shtick, and uh, Kip Sabian says, oh, I'd love to be in this match, uh, but twiddling this moustache, I've, I've selected someone else because I'm too injured uh, as a result of what happened with me uh, and Dustin Rhodes uh, in the in the Battle Royal on Wednesday. Um, and then Danhausen pops up because they're like, where's your little mate? And he's uh, with, in he's, don't do this the wrong way, in Mark Henry's little box uh, and tries to steal the, steal Henry's thunder. No one else can do it like he can. Well, looks like we've had enough time. It's time for the 
About $250,000 a year. Nice work if you can get it, innit? Uh, and the mystery opponent is revealed to be Trent Seven. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? When he initially was revealed? I mean, you, we knew this, obviously, on, what, Thursday, you and I? Yeah, it was, one of those, it. it was one of those spoilers that you can't... Re- we did reveal it on the preview, but we put yeah, the spoiler yeah, we, warning we in. Look, uh, I was completely bemused. Not baffled, because he saw his work in the match. Like He's obviously very, very good at what he does. Yeah. But I just... What an unnecessary addition. Um, there's industry whispers about Trent Seven, which hardly... Um, Make you receptive to him being on TV, even if there weren't. Mm. How many more guys do you need? Hopefully, this is a one-off. He's a very talented individual. Oh, yeah, that's, You've yeah, said that's this the before. Worst of it. He's, he was very good in this match, and it works. But he's a very good opponent, especially for someone like Orange Cassidy, because of the, you know, he's believable when he starts nailing him with chops. And just look at Orange Cassidy's chest at the end of this. But also the fun side of Orange Cassidy's shtick, i.e. hands in the pockets, being countered by Trent Seven, getting him to twiddle his moustache. It, it works. It works, and it's not just the actual, like, really broad comedy bits. Like, Trent Seven does the thing where he misdirects you by putting his hand in the air and then punching you with the other one. Like, he's got a very witty, deceptive in-ring style, as does Cassidy. So, look... They work really well together. It was inspired matchmaking from Tony Khan this. He's very, very, very clever at putting two guys together who he knows are going to complement one another and create, like, a really, really good match. And this was that. Yeah. I did not care about it, however. You mentioned the arm in the air punch. He did another one as well because he'd been chopping the life out of Orange Cassidy. So he chopped the post early on in this match. I think that was when Orange Cassidy chased Penelope Ford and she just legged it. And you're like, where's she going? But she was getting butcher in the blade and bunny and blah, blah, blah. Um, he did another one later. So he's been chopping Cassidy. Understandably, you don't want to eat any more of those by looking at Orange Cassidy's chest. So he goes for it another time or, or maybe winds back on a punch. And Cassidy ducks and he just DDTs him. I thought it was, there's some lovely spots in here. Um, so yeah, Ford's run to the back. Uh, Cassidy's doing his high impact kicks. Um, and then, yeah, Seven catches him with a DDT as the Butcher of the Blade and the Bunny come out. They brawl with the best friends when we go to the break, when we come back. Uh, Trent Seven hits a top rope superplex for a nice near fall. Um, Seven uh, sends him to the outside um, with a backhand, I think it was. But Orange Cassidy pulls Kip Sabian in the way of uh, Seven's dive, and then Orange Cassidy nails a tope onto Seven as well. They get back in. Seven keeps... Firing back up, catches Cassidy with a half-and-half half suplex. Uh, Cassidy comes back with a stun dog millionaire, goes for that spinning DDT, but Seven counters that with a side slam to get himself another two count. He uh, fakes out Cassidy with that jab, as you mentioned. Short arm clothesline, gets him a near fall, goes for Tiger Driver, but Cassidy flips out of it, goes for beach break. Seven counters that. Cassidy hits a spinning DDT, goes for a diving DDT on the top, off the top, but uh, Seven catches him with an up cu- uppercut and hits a, uh, hits a really good twist pile driver. Uh, no, I don't want to press the button. Was great. It, it was it was it was awesome. Yeah. Uh I think he sets up for like a burning hammer. Um 
But Cassidy escapes with the Casadora. Beach break, orange punch. One, two, three. Post-match, Kip Sabian immediately comes in and starts kicking the crap out of Cassidy and gets a bit of help from Trent Seven. But who should run down to make the save? But hometown favourite, Dustin Rhodes. Uh, and he hits Sabian with a spinning power slam on the floor. Flip-flop and fly. Trademark uppercut on seven. Power slams him as well. And Cassidy and Rhodes celebrate whilst Excalibur says, don't forget final battle tomorrow. They could be setting up Dustin Rhodes as... Orange Cassidy is Dustin Rhodes' last ever opponent in AEW. Wow. That could be a little slow burner. Like, look, I respect that. A nice way for him to go out. Mm. Probably get, maybe you could do MGF. Look, there's options here. There are options. Um, ultimately, uh, this was a very, very well-worked match. You could tell that, like in your head canon, you can tell that each man strategized for the other, or certainly Trent Seven strategized mm. for yeah. Orange Cassidy because he was aware of the match before. Which, again, what a plot hole. Orange Cassidy signed a contract to face anyone. It's just not sport, is it? It's just not bloody sport. No. And we've got the ultimate epitome of AEW as sport in the opener, so that was a bit wonky. Um, but yeah, like, the rhythm, the wit, the struggle. Like, they put together something really, really nice and detailed here, and they earned the crowd reaction. It was one of the hotter main events of Rampage in quite some time. You got the sense that Trent Seven... It's been doing this for a long, long time. Probably very underrated. A bit boring for me. Like, taking any of the outside conversations out of consideration. Just what they've done, right, is in the face of criticism that they use Jay Lethal far too often because he's incredible at what he does. Mm -hmm. Not spectacular, but what a great fundamentally great professional wrestler in between the ropes who knows how to get people over, is safe as houses, and can have a very, very good match against anyone, and that person comes out of it looking better. In the face of, all right, Miro should have better creative, should be a bit more bold with your booking, such and such, they don't get enough TV time, but Jay Lethal's such an easy book and crutch because, as I said, he can get anyone looking better before the match um, than they did before the match. It's always very, very good. The crowd likes them, but it's all a bit uninspiring, and it's not what you really watch AEW television for. And what they've done is they've found another Jay Lethal. Yeah. That's what Trent Seven is. He's that kind of wrestler, and AEW at this point does not need that kind of role mm. filled. Um just some of this was bloody great, but yeah, I'll say they say this: if this is just a one-off appearance for Trent Seven in AEW, I think it's been fantastic. Because, like I say, I think I don't, what role he can play going forward, I don't know how. Uh, oh, you'll get signed on this basis. Tony Khan is an impulsive, impulsive human being. He will realize, holy shit, I can get baby faces over out the ass by putting them in the ring with there. Mm. And look, maybe I'm a little. I don't know. I just don't like Trent Seven. Don't like his vibe, mm. okay? And, uh, yeah, like what an arsehole on Twitter as well. Hang your head in shame, Justin. Why don't you hang your head? Brit Rez is so good, why don't you go and wrestle back there again? <laughs> Maybe because it's in the f***ing <laughs> shit. Right, well, let us know your thoughts uh, on AW. You put it there. <laughs> thoughts on AW Rampage on Twitter, at WhatCultureWW. Actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. 
uh, of course, as I said. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Bumper day today. SmackDown review of it is available right now. Me and Sid will be back later uh, to review Final Battle. Me and Hamlet are going to re- review NXT Deadline. And then we'll all be back to preview Monday Night Raw. But for now, this has been the Rampage Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.